For a few days at least, we were back in Metropolis, the city of shenanigans and Schaffenberger. We'd only been away for a few months, but Superman had had dozens of new adventures. When we'd last spent time with the Blue Boy Scout, his stories had felt forced. Hijinks with unearned resolutions, clowns dressed like crooks. It was worth seeing if that had changed. Right? Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Oh man, we have a lot. <laughs> we have a lot to cover. We And so with these Showcase Presents books, which are lovely and are really cool that like they exist at, in such a huge collection for people to kind of go back and do, mm -hmm. um, the Superman one is strictly action and Superman, so it actually covers less ground, but more content, because he was in more content, you know, just page for page. I believe him and Batman were just pound for pound in more books than anyone else. Yeah, it's, I want to say it's 13 pages per action comic story, and then three stories per Superman issue. Which were like the 60-page ones. Yep. So... Uh, oh no not no they were at least probably 36 because i know action is like hovering around 36 i don't know how right. long superman is. but he, he covered a full mag in three stories mm -hmm. bottom line yep. um but if you think about what superman's in right now in the silver age he's in superman action world's finest and justice league he's in which four doesn't different even books. count uh superboy it doesn't even count legion of uh, superheroes is that a separate yeah legion oh. of superheroes is his own book really okay yeah, and then it's about the legion yeah yeah fair enough and then you've got uh superman's girlfriend lois lane and uh, uh, uh jimmy Olsen, uh, superman's pal jimmy olsen yep yeah there's a lot of super yeah and there's gonna be more by the end of this oh boy uh yes there will be so we're gonna start off as quickly as possible because again we have a lot of ground to cover superman number 126 january 1959 superman gets amnesia from an experimental explosion and he doesn't know who he is, so he creates a new British secret identity, because that's kind of just what he feels like is like hip and happening right now. And um, eventually, he's really curious about who he used to be. So he tells a bunch of scientists that he has amnesia. They can't really help him. So what he ends up doing is getting a giant lens and flying into space so far that the light from Earth finally reflects onto the lens so he can see into the past. And sees himself as Clark Kent. And then just goes, oh, I'm Clark Kent. And then returns to being Clark Kent. That's it. That's the whole story. For the record, I'm always a little bit averse to the idea of Superman being able to fly faster than light. Yeah. Even in the modern era, it feels like, no, you got fancy tech. Find a boom tube. It really, ma it really makes Flash less impressive. Yes. That's really my problem with it, is that if he can fly faster than light, then what, what's the point of the Flash? Yeah. You know, like if you've got a guy who can do that. Um, also, before we get really too far into this, we're going to have stories from, uh, I believe it's Bill Finger, Jerry Coleman, uh, Otto Binder, and... Uh, Wayne Boring and Kurt Swan, Al Plastino, and Kurt Schaffenberger doing I, the art. I'm sorry. You have to give him his full and proper title. The man, the myth, the master sergeant, and former worker with the OSS, the labor, labor agitator in the DC bullpen. Yes. Uh, we love his art. Kurt freaking Schaffenberger. <laughs> um, that's, that's the more family-friendly way sure. of putting it. I like it. I like it. Um, 
the second story in Superman 126, Superman and uh, Shandu, the sorcerer from out of town, uh, team up to catch crooks by pretending Superman is under a spell from a giant, ridiculously grotesque-looking clock, and it's a stupid, stupid, stupid story um, that really is just very flimsy. Um, the third story, Lois pretends to be cray-cray um, <laughs> to rebuff the advances of a suitor that she's not in interested in because, of course, she's only got eyes for Superman. And Superman sees this and does the same with her by dressing up like Alfred E. Newman from Mad Magazine. I don't remember if the time Matt talked about this was cut from the episode or not, but Matt and I discussed this previously. That might be in a Patreon section. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's a thing that happens, is that Superman teaches her that looks aren't everything and you're a terrible person. And she's like, mm, you're right, I am. And, like, I'm really split on this to some degree uh, because, on the one hand, it's... Lois has the agency to be the one to say, yeah, no, I acknowledge I fucked up. Yeah. Uh, she also like outsmarts him by realizing that that's what he does. And she calls his bluff uh, and just barely manages to get out of like basically guilt tripping or legal easing uh, Superman sure. into a wedding. Uh, but fundamentally, she has the moment. Of, yeah, no, I figured out what you're doing and I had it coming. Uh, Pretty much. But on the other hand, it really is. Ugly shaming isn't the right word, but it is uh, the story uses physical appearances that are not stereo like mainstream beauty standards as an object of ridicule of, oh, no, no one would ever be interested in this kind of frizzy looking old maid stereotype. Coke no bottle would, glasses. Yep, you know. No one would ever be interested in marrying the Alfred P. Newman. Mm -hmm. It. Yeah, in a story where, like, the whole point, in theory, was, like, Superman being like, no, kind of, like, look past that shit. Like, don't do not do that. But, yeah, it, it doesn't feel great. Yeah. But it, it looks pretty because Kurt Schaffenberger draws it. Exactly. Uh, Action Comics, number 248, January 1959. Clark gets to uh, get a scoop on a prison island that he sees while he's Superman. Oh, Basically, uh, yeah. he goes to sail to this place um to like report about it jimmy stows away with him and they both get captured and put to work in this prison camp which is making missile parts for a missile of course superman thwarts this and uh to protect jimmy he does a whole bunch of shenanigans as clark kent and then stops the missile launch shenanigans shenanigans is the operative word there because who boys it's some bullshit it's it's supermaning yeah. You know, like, that's just just using superpowers in ridiculous ways to make things that people don't, like, can't believe happen. Yep. Um, Superman number 127, February 1959. Clark is uh, presumed dead, and Superman tries living without a, secret, uh, without a secret identity for a while with Jimmy? Mm -hmm. So, Clark is at the center of an explosion that blows all of his clothes off. And when he's in the Superman outfit, he shows up there and Lois finds Clark's clothes and believes that Clark is dead. Everyone freaks out and Superman's like, well, if everyone thinks Clark is dead, maybe I can live without a secret identity for a while. And of course, that goes horribly awry because people want to see him where he lives and because he's paying rent and there's like people doing tours. And I'm going, why don't you just live at the Fortress of Solitude? Mm -hmm. You can fly into town whenever you want. Why are you rooming with Jimmy Olsen? I mean, like, really, that's a question to ask yourself just in, in general. general. If yeah, you ever are, find yourself in that situation. Why are you living with Jimmy Olsen? 
Um, and then, of course, he sees how terrible it is to live like this, and he finds a ridiculous way to get Clark to be found in a giant bottle in the ocean. And they're like, oh, of course, the explosion didn't blow up the giant bottle thing that you were in. It just blew you out to sea, I guess. And he's like, sure, yeah, that's if whatever is believable. And they're like, that is. And he goes, okay, cool, that's what happened. He leaves half eaten things of Chinese food out all the time. Yeah. And it drives me nuts. Yeah. Hang on, let me just put myself in a giant glass bottle and run away. Yeah, just run away from Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> um, a guy... Think of it, they never actually explain how Superman breaks the news to Jimmy that he's moving out, does he? No, he just stops living <laughs> he there. He ghosts him? Oh, I man. mean, presumably it happens off camera because like... I like my version better. I, yeah, ghosting him would be sad but funny. Um the next story is a guy dressed up like Superman is mistaken for the real thing because he's dressed up like that to pretend to be Superman for his son's career day thing. And Clark is on assignment and sees this happening in Superman's to make the guy look like the real Superman and save his life. And then he shows up at the kid's career day with the father dressed as Superman. He says, I'm making him honorary Superman for a day. And hooray, a child's love is earned. Um... Yeah. I, yeah. Um, the third story in this uh, issue is about Titano. So there's a small chimp that is doing uh, fun tricks that Lois is reporting on. And apparently the chimp is also slated to be launched into space. The rocket doesn't work so well. So Superman's like, I'll do it. And chucks the rocket into space. And the monkey is bombarded with kryptonite and radiation rays. And comes back much like the Fantastic Four with new powers that are strange and terrible. And when he comes back, he grows to giant size, can chew kryptonite beams out of his eyes, and Superman and Lois devise a way that is non-lethal for dealing with him, but he throws it back in time. He throws Titano the Chimp back in time to fight dinosaurs to survive. Clark's solution, instead of letting it live on, like, I don't know, an island that is uninhabited or something like that, is to throw it back in time where there are literally creatures the same size as it that would try and kill it for food. And let's remember that this is a trained chimp yeah. who is presumably domesticated from birth. Yeah. Uh, it's a circus chimp. Well. Yeah, it's a circus chimp. It's just a uh, bad, bad call. Bad call, Clark. Um Action Comics number 249 February 1959 there is no Action Comics of we're going to we're going to skip like a, a Superman for for February I think um there's there's a missing Superman like it goes from Superman from February to April there's no March Superman I don't know why it's just Weird. not in there Action Comics number 249 February 1959 the return question mark of Lex Luthor because we haven't seen him in a while Accurate uh, we haven't seen him in a long time. I don't think we've seen him in this book at all. I can't remember. I can't recall but... Lex Luthor ever showing up unless it was very, very early on. But uh, suffice it to say, it's the return of Lex Luthor, and Lex Luthor drinks a serum that makes him essentially exude kryptonite radiation. So Superman has to devise his lead line suit that's kind of nifty, and they show like a cool cutout diagram of how he sees through it without it like having any openings. Mm -hmm. And uh, defeats Luthor like you do uh it's just a long drawn out process because luthor creates a satellite that can turn lead into glass yeah so super yeah that's a step in the plan yeah it's almost incidental and then at it's his, the it's his fail safe yeah 
at the end of everything, he has another device that turns everything back to lead. Yeah. It's... I mean, I, lo- I actually do love the ludicrousness of that. Like, yeah. the sheer incidental mad science-ness. He had, to, he had to invent an entirely different machine alongside his kryptonite serum just for this plan. Which sole purpose was to turn lead from glass and then back again. Just because that was a failsafe. Um, Luthor. Because Luthor, I think that's the that's the thing. There is bad sciencing. Mad sciencing is just because Luthor. Action Comics number two fifty, March nineteen fifty nine. Clark is honored with an award in journalism, which is great. But then that means he gets in, in uh, interviewed for said award, and the guy who's running the interview TV show tries to establish that Clark is in fact Superman because he believes that he has evidence to suggest that he is, and of course he has to you know, come up with convincingly weird shenanigan reasons for him not being Superman. Superman number 128, April 1959. Two criminals uh, convincing, or two criminals convince the FBI that they're from the future and they're from the future version of the FBI and that Superman is actually a time-traveling criminal. They provide convincing enough evidence to suggest that he is by also staging uh, Superman's powers going haywire by using the first appearance of Red Kryptonite. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Red Kryptonite, of course, makes Superman's powers, like, so intensified, and then he loses them. Like, it's a ba- it's basically just, like, a, a power high and then a power crash. And everyone gets afraid of him because of his powers. The FBI is convinced that they're correct. Uh, the, ba- the future guys are correct. The future guys take Superman into the future. And they say, all right, perfect. Now what we need you to do is we're just going to freeze you like a statue put you in the Superman museum because now you're the only person who could stop us and uh, prevent your earth from losing all of its water in the past. And now that the earth has no water, we're going to ransom giant comets to like fill the earth's water back. It's a very convoluted plan, which requires time travel, oddly enough. And eventually what happens is Superman gets out of being a statue and being trapped on a moon or something and fights them gives water to the earth in the future then goes back in time with a letter of pardon from the government then to then give it to the fbi in the present and be there should the earth need him to stop it from having a drought it's really it's a wild ride for no reason like yeah it was not terribly easy to follow um my favorite bit is that the lie isn't that they're from the future I was ready for that. Mm-hmm. No, the lie is that they're cops. Yeah. At the point where you've invented time travel, you might as well pretend to be cops. You, it's sure. not that much more of an ask. Uh, Lois wins uh, props from a Krypton movie that they're making somewhere and tries to trick Superman into believing she's from Krypton and then tries to essentially marriage trap him again because Lois Lane in the Silver Age. Action Comics number 251, April 1959. Um, oh, also that last story was an instance where Bruce Wayne showed up to pretend to be Clark Kent again, um, because he reveals, because Superman reveals his secret identity to the kryptonite or to the Krypton woman. And it's actually Lois Lane. So she's like, Oh my God, he's Clark. And then she's confronts him as he's as Clark. And then he shows up as Superman and then Bruce Wayne's Clark. It's stupid. It's another just excuse to hoodwink Lois and gaslight her. Um, Action Comics 251, April 1959. Clark drinks a serum to save a scientist from doing it and is turned into an old man and has to do old man things as Superman where he has less powers and strength. 
I actually really like the old man of the sea and Father Time bits. Those were hilarious, but also it was like, this is stupid. <laughs> this it, is a dumb story. Um, I felt like it was at least entertaining dumb, unlike uh, some of the other yeah. stuff that we've covered. It I was, just it had was, disdain for. They were clever in their ways that they had Superman solve problems as mm -hmm. an old man. That's not, uh, you know, refutable at all. It was just, this is a dumb story to yeah. do. Like, yeah. But good on you for the execution kind of a thing. Superman number 129, May 1959. Lois is caught in a blast uh, caused by Superman's x-ray vision. And she disappears and Superman thinks that he's killed her. And every time he uses his x-ray vision, she shows up in a ghostly form. And he's the only one who can see her and he thinks that she's haunting him. But later he finds out that she's stuck in the fourth dimension. And... If he uses the machine that she was next to to bring her back, she'll be fine. But every time he used his x-ray vision, it was like her seeing a window into the third... I don't know. It was... Uh, Clark, in the second story, follows firemen for a story who are determined to, like, get him to leave them alone because they don't want good press, I suppose. And he supermans his way through scary and dangerous situations to get the story, and the firemen are convinced that he's just super lucky. The last story in that uh, issue is Clark's... Uh, oh yeah, Clark reminisces about that one time he had a mermaid girlfriend. Yeah. That's literally the story. As he looks at Lois and goes, Hmm, she reminds me of that one time I was in college and I had a girlfriend from Atlantis who was half mermaid. And I was just like, this is the story? It's just you thinking about that one time you had a girlfriend? And Atlantis is not the same Atlantis as Aquaman's Atlantis again for the third, fourth time that we're doing this? Okay, cool. Accurate. Action Comics number 252, May 1959. Metropolis, uh, oh yeah, this is Metallo's first appearance. Oh yeah. So technically yeah, there yeah. was a Metallo in the Golden Age, but it was just a robot. This is Metallo again. Uh, John Corbin, a criminal who is also an investigative journalist, is escaping uh, town because he has committed a crime, specifically a murder. And on his way driving out of town, a uh, car crash happens and he's involved in it. And the house that he's next to is a scientist's house. And rather than call the cops, the paramedics, or any sort of emergency services, the man decides that he's going to save John Corbin's life by replacing all bioorganic matter on him with metal and tubing and turning him into a robot person powered by uranium. That's the clearly logical thing to do in this scenario. I mean, naturally. And Corbin's like, um, so I'm a robot now? And he's like, yeah, you're powered by uranium. Hope that's not too difficult to get your hands on as a normal dude. And he's like, probably going to be an issue for me later in life. But thanks. Um, the scientist has like a stroke and is in a coma because an avalanche happens. And he can't find out what the second source of energy that he can use is. So Corbin goes along his way. Goes to Metropolis to get a job at the Daily Planet, gets a job. Lois is immediately turned off by this guy because he's super gross and creepy. And Clark is like, hmm, that's weird. His body's made of lead. Wonder <laughs> what that's about. But whatever. He seems nice enough. Not really. And eventually Corbin is caught in the crossfire when some guys are trying to do a drive-by on Lois and the bullets bounce off of him. And Corbin realizes that he has super strength and super invulnerability due to his new robot body. And Lois is now convinced that Corbin is in fact Superman. Not, you know, barring the fact that he's got a mustache somehow on his non-bioorganic face that he then shaves to I, look like Superman. I thought I remembered that 
It was like everything below the neck was possible. I don't, I don't remember close Maybe. enough. It's yeah. been a week since I read it's, that. It's not terribly important, bottom line being. Corbin realizes that... Uh, I'm the, sorry. Mustaches are always important. Pencil thin ones are, yes. Uh, mm, Cary Grant. Less, oh, mm, it's it's a point, Cary Grant good point, mustache. Good point. Um, oh, wow, yeah. Corbin then realizes that he's running out of juice for his battery and has to just start stealing uranium because, hey, you know what? Not a thing you can get at the corner store. And realizes that... He's pretty unstoppable due to his new robot body, and if people think he's Superman, he's just going to dress up like Superman and steal a bunch of uranium. And it works for a time. People start thinking that Superman is stealing uranium. Superman, of course, gets pretty curious about this, chases him down, and Corbin finally returns to the scientists to go like, hey, what's that second power source now that you've woken up from a coma and I'm running out of uranium to steal? And the scientist goes, oh, it's kryptonite. And he's like, huh. That other really, really rare resource that doesn't come up, that doesn't exist on this planet naturally. You you couldn't you couldn't have picked an easier energy source for me? Nope. Uranium and kryptonite. Well, at least one of those makes me kind of a threat to Superman, so I guess I'll steal some kryptonite. So Corbin goes and finds some kryptonite, uses it as his new power battery. It makes him last, I guess, longer because it's more powerful. And he gets in a couple of fights with Superman. Superman finds some fake kryptonite at the Superman Museum and gets Corbin to think that it's real so that he can switch it out for the real kryptonite and he's no longer powered by it and he's able to defeat him. And that's the end of the Metallo story. It's believed that he's, like, dead? Because he's, like, powered off. It feels that way. But they don't talk about it like he's gone forever. So we're not quite sure what the fate of Corbin really is at this point. So Metallo is just kind of like incapacitated indefinitely. Mm. We're just going to say that. Um, but that's the end of that story. The, the last story that we're going to cover in the Action Comics number 252, the first appearance of Honest to God, legit Supergirl, Kara mm. Zor-El. So remember, dear listeners, uh, through the fog of time, you do the flashback. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to do that, and uh, remember the uh, first episode we did about Superman in the Silver Age, where Jimmy Olsen wishes that Superman had a companion with that stupid monkey's paw wand crap? That's right. Uh, and he's like, I wish Superman had a girlfriend, because he's so lonely and stuff, and it makes Supergirl, and she's like, down the clown with Superman, and everyone's like, this is uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> I'm mainly... uncomfortable with the fact that you just said down the clown in yeah, that particular way. It's cool. Um, but... It wasn't that it was uncomfortable because they were like, that's Superman's cousin. It was uncomfortable with the fact that even Superman was like, miss, I hardly know you. That was just a weird story. But this starts with the uh, life of Kara Zor-El. So the Zor-El family are part of, uh, member or members of a Krypton society, much like Superman's parents are. Except the part of Krypton that they are on was so large and it didn't get blown up when the planet blew up. That it flew off into space and it was so large that it kept its own atmosphere for some reason. And so several hundred Kryptonians were still alive on this like shard of Krypton that was hurtling off into space. And they were like, well, you know, if we like protect ourselves and stuff and we put down like a layer of lead over the ground, we could pretty much live here indefinitely. Um, And they do that for a while. Kara is born, but a meteor shower uh, strikes the shard of Krypton and it ruptures a lot of the lead plating and it starts to make the whole shard unstable and start to break apart and her family sends her off towards Earth because as they've been observing through their space telescopes, Earth has a guy dressed like a Kryptonian on it and it's Superman. So they're I like, would like to reflect on something. Yeah. In this exact 
episode, we earlier discussed that there was a point where light travels at the speed of light. Yeah. I, I, like Somehow, I, didn't, I didn't get bugged by this story when we read it, but now I'm just... Like, they shouldn't be able to see that. Burn uh, everything. Yeah, unless they have satellites orbiting Earth and they're getting communications from those. I don't know. Like, all I, all know. I needed was like a, like a hyperspeed telescope, which actually sounds really cool. So they see Superman on Earth and they're like, we'll send you to him. So they jettison Kara off uh, much like they did with Superman, but of course she does it. it she flies more quickly and uh, is in suspended animation. And when she lands on Earth, she's like 16. And he's like 30. I'm sure he's like in his 30s. I, they don't really explain how he's aged up. Mm -hmm. But I guess it's time dilation. What are you going to do? I've never really understood that, but what I'm not going to, we're not going to go into it. It feels like a 32 year old. Yeah. It's, it's, it's time dilation. So he's a grown adult. She's 16. But then again, in this instance, it's fine because she's born post Krypton's destruction. Mm -hmm. He's born during Krypton's destruction. So this is something to actually bring up in the current canon of Superman. Kara is his elder cousin. Mm-hmm. And she's put in suspended animation for so long that she drifts in space for a long time. And that's why she doesn't land on Earth when he does. And so when he grows up, she's like floating for another 30 years before she lands on Earth. In this instance, she was just born after him. That's kind of the difference, I suppose. Um, but she lands on Earth and he's like, wow, uh, welcome to Earth. You speak Kryptonian. That's super awesome and cool and stuff. And she's like, yeah, uh, I'm Kara Zor-El. And he's like, I'm... Kal-El and she's like oh my god you're from the house of El that means like my dad was your dad's brother and they're like oh my god we're cousins and it's kind of a sweet moment where Superman is like oh my god I'm not alone anymore this is awesome um, I have basically a sister and they have a good moment where Superman's like okay I gotta come up with like a cover story and a secret identity for you so you can be normal but also you and I can hang out so she chooses the name of Linda Lee and uh goes to an orphanage in Midvale where she is now situated and she's going to start having her adventures in Midvale, which I imagine will be covered in the Supergirl comic. We haven't read any further, but there are similar situations like The Flash where Supergirl stories are also in Superman books. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming we're going to see that and then those will be continued in the Supergirl comic. But that is the end of the stuff that we're covering for this episode. It was a lot a lot of non-noteworthy stuff, but the biggest, th <laughs> yep. like, the biggest things were the red kryptonite, mm -hmm. Metallo, the return of Lex Luthor, and Kara Zor-El. And I think that's kind of cool. Um, All right, so let's jump in. I have notes. So I can actually comment specifically on where stories about Supergirl are going to be. Now, I can't comment on any other spots they might pop up, but Supergirl becomes, like, immediately just the new backup feature in action comics uh she replaces uh tommy tomorrow uh, oh good here's the thing we might not know about him but before 252 congo bill and slash congorilla oh, congorilla yep yep and tommy tomorrow had been the two backups since 127 all the way back in 1948 so we've had 11 years of these two backups, plus some one-page gag strips wow. and ads. So that being said, uh, 
Congo Bill had been running for a very long time in Action Comics, but it was only in 248 that he first wa- there was the first appearance of Congorilla, where he gets the ability to switch his uh, body and mind with a or switch his mind with that of a golden ape. It has been 10 years of Congo Bill by this point, but only just now are we starting in on Congorilla. And he's not even to have that long to go because uh, by 262, Congorilla is gone as well. It's uh, Action Comics becomes just Superman, Supergirl ads, one-page gag comics. Hmm. Uh, they made the what they did was they made more room for Supergirl stories because usually like the for these the backup stories like whether it be uh, Martian Manhunter in I think he was an adventure he's in detective detective uh, Martian Manhunter comics were like six or seven pages when Supergirl comes out she's six or seven pages and then she gets bumped up to 12 or 13 to roughly match uh, Superman uh, mostly, I'm just amazed that the same backup features were in use for 11 years. Yeah, really. And the flip side is, it kind of reeks of very stale, stay-the-course editorial. So, yeah, that, that one interests me, because, I mean, 1948 is, a, to, to be clear, we're in 1959 right now. 11 years is a very long time for the backup features to be that consistent. Uh, also worth noting, just because I found it kind of cool, uh, before 1948, uh, Congo Bill and Tommy Tomorrow, uh, or no, it was Congo Bill and the Western Vigilante. Sure. Uh, sometimes with other stuff like Zatara. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, those were short, short, short stories. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see Zatara and then, like, when Zatanna shows up. Yep. I, w- I wonder. Like, yeah. that's got to be a Silver Age thing. I would hope. But who knows? I'm curious. Uh, so this is going to be a little bit of a refresher because... Not a lot has changed since the two episodes that we did on Superman earlier, but just bringing up some of the most relevant bits. Uh, so reminder that of what else is going on at this point. Adam Strange has started coming out around I'm this excited time. Excited for that. Yep. Uh, uh, Red Kryptonite is just the first one to be introduced. The other varieties coming soon are 1958 Red Kryptonite. We already talked about 1959 Anti Kryptonite. 1960 is both Blue Kryptonite and X Kryptonite. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd think that'd be a 1990s thing, but okay. 1961 is both White Kryptonite and Yellow Kryptonite. And in 1962, Gold Kryptonite. Somewhere in there, Pink Kryptonite is there. Uh Oh, yeah. Not sure when that gets introduced, but Pink Kryptonite is a thing. And it's problematic. Yep. Uh, just... The one sentence descriptor is, I believe it turns Superman effeminate and coded as queer. Yes. Which. Bad. That's bad. That's yep. a bad thing. You're bad, whoever made that. Yep. We talked about being dissatisfied with these stories. Uh, reminder that yeah. there are pretty much like six types of stories at this point. Superman outsmarts someone. Superman protects his identity. An untold story. What if? Includes temporary status quo changes. What's the secret that's being kept from the reader and other? It feels extremely formulaic. And when we talk about supermaning, it's the reason we use a verb for that is in part because it's predictable. Yeah. They're not even like super creative. Like, I I miss what Topo? I miss Topo. Yeah. Uh, we Topo. we gotta we gotta get back to Aquaman. We Man, I'm to... so down to just like binge Aquaman. Yeah, do Aquaman, Green Lantern. Because like Green Lantern and like Aquaman was just 
Aquaman was the silly fun version of Flash comics. Yep. Where like Flash was fun, exciting science fights. Aquaman was this is weird shit, but like I'm down. I'm down for like, you know, like animals and aquatic themed crime. And Would then, you say that you're down to clownfish? I am, I am down to clownfish. Um, and then Green Lantern had this overarching continuing storyline. Those mm-hmm. were, weirdly enough, the three strongest books we've read. Yeah. Aquaman, Green Lantern, and Flash. Yes. The three newest smelling characters. Mm-hmm. They yep. run the gamut of kids comic, Aquaman, young adult, Flash, adult, Green Lantern. Yeah. The other big one that I kind of want to talk about is uh, sort of following the through line of how we we were dissatisfied with these stories. And one thing that especially is interesting. So the way I re- the way that I'm reading them, uh, the format is more issue by issue within a series rather than chronologically, which means I read the it turned out i actually read the i'd read some of the superman ones further in the past so i reread reread them but i read those as a chunk i read the action comics as a chunk i didn't do like the back and forth chronological thing which meant that i kind of got to view action comics on their own and my response was disdain i did not i emphatically did not enjoy them and i had to spend some time sort of figuring out why because they're not really that different from Superman stories. Uh, it's mostly the same creative team. Uh, Kurt Schaffenberger only did pencils or only did art for the Superman stories and only some of those. But except for that, everybody the same. Uh, entirely the same writers and editors. Uh, the stories in action were the same length or longer. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, it's only six pages. They can't do as much in action comics. No, same length. And the only real difference between the two is Kurt Schaffenberger is only in Superman and the fact that each narrative unit of Superman stuff in action is on its own. It is a single story in a single issue of action. Uh, we weren't, aren't reading them as like one Superman story in an issue with other stories uh, it's not like, oh, here's a Superman issue and it's three Superman stories in there. It's, okay, each individual narrative unit is one story in one issue of Action Comics. So I kind of could say, like, well, uh, I could read one of those it, Action Comics it, stories and be like, well, this was shit. Whereas with Superman comics, okay, read three and, well, two of them were crap, but... Uh, Kurt Schaffenberger penciled the other one, so it makes up for them. There's right. each story in Action Comics has to stand on its own. Now, what's kind of interesting from that is it also points to some interesting impacts from our podcast format. Because uh, I, when I, as I was thinking about this and the impact of those smaller narrative units in action, I started thinking about and comparing us to Jay and Miles, as we've mentioned, uh, Jay and Miles explained the X-Men were our direct inspiration for the podcast. Um, and generally they'll cover one story arc per episode, like six ish episodes, making up a single story. This is a generous generalization, admittedly, because they'll sometimes cover multiple arcs. 
or Claremont often used single issues as narrative units rather than constructing narrative in like arcs that have a beginning and, a, uh, and an end. Uh, but generally like yeah. one arc per uh, episode and a lot of what Jay and Miles do then is it's synthesis. It's looking how elements of the arc that they covered fit into long-term trends, how artists strengths and weaknesses show themselves here they review how the use of characters in this art compares to how they're used over the entire history of the X history of the x-men like uh right now they're pretty or at least recently they've been doing stuff with uh bishop and it's like okay let's talk about bishop in this era and let's compare that to how bishop gets used in other character or other eras like especially more recently or uh in the mid nine super mid 90s uh and by comparison, we still do a lot of that, but it also feels like we do more comparisons between individual issues. We tend to be more focused on comparing either within issues or within a time period across uh, across series. Uh, again, this is a generalization. When I use the term narrative unit, that's an arbitrary imposition of borders on creative works. Right. When J.M. Miles cover an arc around Cable's introduction, they still talk about how one issue does X thing better than another issue does, but changing the default scope of a narrative unit that we review or that the stories are told in changes how we analyze stories. I'm still chewing over the exact impacts that that brings to the table, but if nothing else, I think it means that we can decide that it was all worthwhile if smaller things are excellent. Like the whole thing of, well, this most of this issue of of uh, Superman was trash, but here's this one thing that was really cool. Yeah. And we've done that. Like the fact that we get so hyped over, here's this cool story that felt really good. Uh, like or Weather Wizard. Like the Weather yeah. Wizard stuff from yeah. last episode was just us nerding out over oh my god it's weather wizard and that's so cool you yeah. know and i'd say like even looking at it from a bigger perspective uh, a more macro perspective of a season is the wrong word but i mean we've been doing the silver age for probably a year at this point almost, almost and, a year. and i would say that to some degree it's been made by the fact that i can say to people who are kind of interested in like, oh, what kind of stuff do you do in your podcast? Did you know that Green Lantern was originally like penciled like it was a romance comic? Mm -hmm. Being this almost myopic means that there is some degree of this was worth it because here's this one small thing that was really interesting. It, we also don't have a property that starts off chronologically important. Mm -hmm. X-Men starts and continues as an overarching story from its inception. If you really read, like, if you listen mm -hmm. to them, every episode leads into a new arc. Especially once once you get to uh, Giant Size X-Men number one. Yeah. yeah. Once, once you hit the Giant Size X-Men number one episode for Jay and Miles, it's very evident that the X-Men comics, while maybe not um, six-issue arcs, had a one-to-two-issue arc formula that worked. Mm -hmm that helped them be an overarching story where the characters could evolve. 
we haven't hit that yet with these characters. Yep. And that's what's so interesting is we're like, wow, look at these people like throwing jelly at a wall and just going like, I don't know, does it work? And then someone going, just keep, I don't know, put a nail in it and see if it works and stays there. You know, they're just struggling to find something that sells and reads. And eventually, I'm really curious when we hit that point where someone's like, I'm going to do six issues that all have to do with each other. Yeah. I, I want to know the, who that writer is. I want to see that happen. The most we've gotten thus far, I think, are two-parters. And yeah. Like Aquaman yeah. when he had the, the interdimensional yep. criminals that jumped in that looked like the sea centaur people. That like that was a two-part issue thing where he saved Atlantis from those guys who like were criminals fleeing their own dimension. That was cool. That was an awesome storyline. When do we get more of those? Yep. Like the longest two-parter story in this was the guys from the future. Uh, oh, to so, clarify, so there's that and then there's also like starts in one issue and ends in the next. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, so uh, getting down to my lists of here are things that I liked and didn't like. Uh, so these stories are mostly dumb, yeah. especially the action comics ones. So I have literally entitled all three of these lists as dumb things blank. Uh, dumb things Matthew liked. Might as well start with the pleasant stuff. Sure. Why not? It's first in my list. Uh, in this era, x-ray vision is the name for both heat vision and seeing through things, which... It halfway appeases me. Yeah, it's like it's like Martian Manhunter's like radioactive vision or mm -hmm. whatever it is. It's like that's not how that works, but sure. Uh, also, it is astonishing how much the Wikipedia article about kryptonite doesn't standardize whether kryptonite is capitalized. Seriously, I don't know if there's a standardization at all because we all, whenever we're reading it in the You're comics, right. it's in all caps. It really, like, going through the uh, Wikipedia page for Kryptonite, there are clear points where it's like, it's not just like, oh, it's not capitalized if it's normal usage, but it's capitalized if it's, like, green Kryptonite or something like that. Capital it's, K Kryptonite? It's just, there is just capital K Kryptonite sometimes, <laughs> and then there's lowercase K Kryptonite other times. It sure is. It's so weird. Yeah. Uh, dumb things Matthew fucking hated. Going back to that uh, prison slave prison camp, uh, it feels very strange to have comedic underpinning of a uh, slave plantation. There's one sentence yeah. specifically. That freak lightning bolt did our work for us. It shattered all the rocks into pebbles. Now Von Camp has to give us food and water. The slaver doesn't care. Yeah. Like, uh, if this is meant to invoke slaver or prison industrial work, the idea that a slaver's statements are contracts is naive and creates a dangerous view of slavery. The slaver is arbitrary. Yeah. The slaver has all the power, both social and physical. Remember that uh, slavery is a condition that is typified by all the power being in the hands of one of the master rather than, like them having to abide by oh i was outwitted guess you get the fruits of your labors yeah it's not summer camp people yeah they don't owe you anything that's the whole point also uh there's a bit in the in the story about him being uh lie detectored yeah there's a specific where bit gets, like where he gets the award and is being interviewed by the guy who thinks that he's superman he asked him to subject to a lie detector test sorry that's the mm -hmm. preamble we're no. digging deeper into issues that i purposely glossed over because they were pointless but no. continue there's a bit in there i think it's even just a narrative box where it asks did clark kent just break his code yeah i saw and that that was the weirdest thing fuck 
off that Clark has a code of honor that keeps him from lying even to keep his identity. He does uh, that all the time. Yeah, and especially, <laughs> here's the thing. The First off, yes. First off, yes. Second off, and this is the thing that bugged the shit out of me, is the implication is that, like, following that, Clark has found a, a loophole. Clark has found a thing that can let him say this is... Oh, hey, God. I am not Superman, or I do not have superpowers, and it's true in that moment, so it's a loophole. <laughs> Fuck off. Clark Kent is a spirit of the law kind of guy. If you're being like, did he break his moral his code of morality? Well, I found he found a loophole, so he didn't. It's like, yeah. no, Clark Kent, spirit of the law. Oh, God. God. Uh, melting kryptonite apparently prevents it from affecting Superman. Like, it shouldn't work. His yeah. kryptonite gas works against him. Exactly that. Uh, some of that kryptonite in being melted is going to yeah, go it's, gaseous. It's just li- well, it's also just liquid kryptonite now. Yeah. And it's yeah. still kryptonite. It's just mm-hmm. superheated. Yeah. A uh, bit about uh, Lois being a force ghost. So many of the action stories, like especially the action comic stories... Uh, had fiat solutions and they bug me and I want to call out one in particular because that one because the solution for her is like okay it's an act three twist kind of thing okay we, fi- we figured it out uh hey we fixed things and then there's the trying to explain why Clark was the only person to see her in this state and there is a line it's like the third to last panel uh his x-ray vision opened a window to the fourth dimension which was why only you could see me Dude, if you're going to do, like, a reveal of how the thing works, you do it at the end of Act 2. It bugged me. God, it bugged me. Your twist happens to set up Act 3 as, like, okay, now that we know the score, let's resolve it. Right. Uh, Also, reminder, um, don't call indigenous artifacts or culture primitive and definitely not savage. In fact, uh, think carefully before using the word savage just in general as an adjective or as a noun, uh, because that is a loaded-ass statement these days, and uh, we as white folks generally don't think enough about where our terminology is coming from. Think carefully before uh, basically setting up like a civilized barbarian dynamic in your head. So, things to keep in mind. Uh, Also, uh... There's the sequence where there's the guy, the dad pretending to be Superman. Uh, fuck this sequence because the guy has like good ex- ideas, but each time Superman has to help him, which is not in itself an issue, but specifically like Superman, it's not like, hey, he loosened the jar for me. I just need to help him that last little bit. It's Superman's way of helping usually doesn't need the guy. It's like, oh, this guy had this cool idea about uh, setting up like a focal uh, mirror or laser. That's cool, but I'm just going to laser eye it. Yeah. Um, I have two th- dumb ideas that I want to riff on. The first thing that popped in my head, uh, su- there's a point where Superman is experimenting with kryptonite. It makes him lose his powers. Specifically, he made synthetic kryptonite as part of trying to uh, inoculate himself against kryptonite. The first thing I thought about was, shit, will that be like, cubic zirconium what if kryptonite becomes stylish to wear in jewelry it's probably not gonna be like big on its looks because uh they're reasonably cheap synthetic emeralds that look cooler sure but on the other hand what if like anti-superman sentiment leads to like the cool crowd wearing synthetic kryptonite i'm imagining like 
leather jacket era Superboy with kryptonite earrings. Oh, like God. Damien wearing kryptonite rings. The fucking the, the Metropolis kid version of Superboy. The one who basically looks like short hair trunks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. That yep. was the weirdest time. Yep. I'm now thinking of why isn't there some sort of thief or criminal jeweler specifically making jewelry out of kryptonite for other criminals yep. and just selling it. Like I would imagine Luther would just have a kryptonite tie stick pin. Yeah. So here's the thing. Just I'll even, him. I'll even go one step further. So I recently learned what a topper is in nail polish. Mm -hmm. And can you just imagine if you had like a kryptonite dust topper like kryptonite, kryptonite fleck nail polish just yeah like or first off you like, get the cool green and then it's just like all i have to do all i have to do is just scratch i don't know why every criminal in metropolis is not like we will find you kryptonite and pay you money to make us kryptonite jewelry that would be a really lucrative business yeah now of course the inherent problem in that is it exudes radiation so it's we don't unclear how much. we don't know. Well, that's the whole mm -hmm. reason it hurts him. It's it's yeah. kryptonite radiation. Mm -hmm. So there is no currently in in mm -hmm. where we are in the Silver Age and in, in later decades there is talk about kryptonite exposure, um, but there is no current reason or um, side effect for being around kryptonite other yep. than what happened to Titano. Yeah. Where he he was bathed yeah. in kryptonite and like in space radiation, it turned him gigantic, mm -hmm. and presumably wearing that much radiation on you all the time would kill you of like radiation poisoning at some point, I imagine. But we don't know if the type of radiation is lethal to humans. Yep. It's lethal to Kryptonians. Mm -hmm. But what if it's benign to humans? I'm there with you. Uh, the one other thing is this is actually my last thing for the evening before recommendations. Uh, unless you've got stuff it's really clear how superheroes in this age aren't introverts like i got super age so i'm not up to being shot out of a cannon for charity on thursday but i still have to figure out how to make that happen yeah like it's always well this thing went weird but i still have to make all my social engagements motherfuckers sometimes we flake because eight o'clock feels late you can just cancel plans if you need to yeah learn from an introvert don't don't push yourself buddy uh, yeah, I think I think we're good to go to recommendations, though. Yeah. So on my end, I'm gonna recommend Dragon Ball Super and caveats around that. I'm a I'm a Dragon Ball fan. Uh, I read uh the full manga of Z at one point uh, in high school. Uh, John and I have been big fans of Dragon Ball Bridge for a number of years. I've sort of casually followed uh what's been going on in Super to a degree. Uh, and I've been big on Dragon Ball Fighters recently, and I really like that. Hmm. Uh, so as a result, I finally sat down. Yeah, uh, my girlfriend was in uh, Disney World last weekend, so I sat down, and I wound up binging a whole bunch of it. And especially the first two arcs are just very pleasant. They're very fun. They're very fillerful. But as a result, it's this very slow-paced, Sometimes high stakes, but mostly very calm and fun stuff. Even when, okay, there's this big dramatic fight that's sort of building up, uh, there's a whole lot of cutaways to characters just, oh, let me one-liner. Oh, here's Pilaf. Who remembers Pilaf? Who gives hey. a shit about Pilaf? All right, there we go. 
And it's just, it was very fun. And and then uh, the third arc is the first original content. And it's cool stuff thus far. Um, I've been enjoying it. I don't know how deep I'll go. But I like these versions of the characters. I like that the voice acting is pretty good. I, I have been watching the dub. And the dub, I think, is actually better than the sub. Partly because I can get the jokes better. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I've been Never- enjoying that. And non-comics uh, or cartoon thing that I'm going to recommend, just because it's it's different and very zen for folks, is Binging with Babish. Um, mm. Binging with Babish is a YouTube series uh, that started a couple of years ago, and it's a guy who is kind of an amateur cook, and he recreates dishes that he sees in television and movies. And it's really cool because obviously there are some things out there that should not work. And he, <laughs> he tries them anyway. He's like, okay, I'm going to try and alter this so that it tastes good. Um, he doesn't focus on like him as a chef, kind of like you, you imagine food shows do where it's like, I, you know, I learned this recipe when I was, you know, a kid and blah, blah, blah. And they tell their personal stories. It's just like, no, it's only shot from his neck down. So it's just focused on the food. And it's just him cooking. And he makes little jokes where, like, you'll see his hands do things that the voiceover is like, forget where you put something, look for it, and then remember. And then, like, you know, or he goes, uh, uh, turn on slow-mo so people can watch you light rum on fire. You know, like, little things like that where mm-hmm. it's it's very fun. It's all in the spirit of learning how to cook. He has started to do a series um, called Basics with Babish now that his Patreon's taken off where he mm-hmm. does episodes of just, like, here's how you cook some, like, just basic stuff. Like, how to slice things, how to cook a steak how to do this and i'm like that's really cool that it's like fun and educational and um do it like he takes requests so people are like do this sauce from goodfellas and like the the prison sauce that they make and he's like sure and he's like in the in the movie he's slicing garlic with a razor blade um let me see if i can do that and he like literally slices garlic so thin with a razor blade that it like turns translucent in the sauce and he's just like it doesn't really do anything but it looks cool but it's it's fun and it's it's worth checking out just because if you enjoy food in any capacity or you're just like looking to cook and you want to be like oh, I want to make food that I've seen on TV it's like there is someone who's literally doing that right now and will show you how to do it. He doesn't I don't think he puts like specific measurements down. I think he mm-hmm. might in the in the video description. I just have never looked, but I think he's also got a website that he might put all of his recipes on. I hope so. Um so like I said, uh binging with Babish and it's uh, it's really fun. It's nice. It's a nice feel good YouTube channel. Um, yeah, I think that'll do it for us for this episode. We're gonna finish off Superman next episode because, like I said, we were we're trying to get everyone up to when Justice League starts. So mm-hmm. we're still in 1959. We have to finish out 1959 to get to 1960. Two parter. Yeah, I mean it's a it's gonna be a two parter from us for Superman. But if you think about it, when Justice League happened. Supergirl existed. Accurate. That's huh. super weird yeah. to think about. Like even with Flash. So by the time Flash, by the time Justice League happened, Wally West existed, Kara Zor-El, and Aqualad were a thing. Yeah. Interesting. It's it is impressive how expansive the universes technically are by this point. Yeah. And how little they're used in a shared universe. The only ones that seem to cross the streams are Batman and Superman. Yep. Because we, outside of a world's finest issue, we had Batman show up for 10 seconds to be Clark Kent. And I'm like, wow, 
we really don't want to we don't want to talk about how these other universes exist until justice league happens so it's going to be interesting when we start having crossover comics like brave and the bold when you Mm -hmm. start having green lantern and flash god i hope that's good Mm -hmm. that should be fun and then teen titans that'll be interesting because the original team is speedy aqualad and robin and kid flash and then I think Donna Troy, uh, Wonder Girl. Super, when, uh, when she gets introduced. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. We'll find out. Hopefully, yeah. Uh, we, yeah. Uh, so we're excited to keep moving. Again, we mentioned some stuff that we're probably going to do in the future, like Adam Strange. I'm excited to do like Challengers of the Unknown. Yeah. Sergeant Rock, Jonah Hex, Metamorpho. God, Jonah Hex probably is out at this point. Uh, not yet. Um, 1963, I believe. Um, so we're getting close to like Jonah Hex, Sergeant Rock, um, Ghost Tank is going on right now. <laughs> um, the war that time forgot. Um, U.S. soldiers fighting dinosaurs. Um, we haven't touched Green Arrow yet, so we're gonna get to that soon once we because we we got him introduced in Justice League, but he was going before that because he was part of the uh, Seven Soldiers of Victory back in the Golden Age. And we never touched the Seven Soldiers of Victory, so we're going to look at him and the Silver Age and see what he's like. Um, we haven't looked at the Hawks. Yeah. And what their re- what their reinvention is, which is, I believe, Thanagar. Yes. So we're going to see some space sci- sci-fi versions of Hawkman and Hawkgirl, which is going to be really cool. Um, so there's a lot. There's a lot that we're going to touch eventually when we get to it. We're just trying to get everyone caught up to that point we were at when we went to Justice League chronologically we just want to get to that point so that we're we're caught up before we really start busting on like nine different directions because that's really going to be the hard part for us is like focusing and getting through stuff because we do episodes you know every two weeks Mm -hmm. it's going to take some time for us to cover all this stuff eventually we're going to like we just want to be at a certain chronological point where we're like okay this is our baseline is 1960 let's go from there Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Guess that'll about do it. So, folks, have a good week, and it's been a pleasure talking with you. Yes, see you all soon. DC Detectives can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and DCDetectivesPodcast.com. After the confrontation with Metallo, it was nice to see Superman gain a friend and ally in his cousin after adding another villain to his growing gallery. Superman's world was becoming more fleshed out, even if it was bordering on the superficial. We had time to kill, so we stuck around for a while to see what adventures would unfold for the Man of Tomorrow and the Girl of Steel. 